Welcome to Coach House Talks. A while ago, Sita uh, and I began writing thank you cards for our wedding, which was back last August. And I only say a while ago because it took us so long to do it. And you may, you may say, uh, oh, well, that was ages ago, but, you know, that, that was us. It took us a long time. Uh, but we finally, finally finished sending them in February. It was a mammoth task, so about 180 guests and about 80 or so cards to write, seal, sign, send off. And it took a couple of months for us to actually do it. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like there's three types of people when it comes to cards. There's those who send them to everyone. You know, when it comes to Christmas, they're ready with a stack of cards to give to, to every person they meet. Uh, on the flip side, you've got people like Sita or my mum who will write these really detailed personal cards, which every time you look at it, you look at it in detail and you read it and you think, actually, that's, that's, really, that's really amazing to hear. And, you know, you'll hold on to them. Um, and then if you're wondering what the third category is, it's the people who forget. And funnily enough, guess who falls into that category? <laughs> um, but here's the thing. I have a lot of cards that I've kept over the years. Um, I was in my parents' house the other day clearing some more stuff out and loads of the stuff that's in my drawer next to my bed is cards from people. And as I look back over them, many of them are from my mum, who'd often written letters to me when I was at uni. Uh, many are from CETA, of course. And there was also personal notes of thanks from students that I'd received when I was working with the navigators. And inevitably, I've cherished the ones which were written with genuine love, concern and understanding and insight and detail. They're the ones I've kept hold of and over the years I keep reading back over. Um, and I'm certain a few of you are the same. You might have cards which you know, go back 10, 20, 30 years. Occasionally you'll still look and glance at and think, actually that says something significant. These messages stand out to us because when we read them, we're left in no doubt in our minds that the message is meant for us. It has a lot of power. And why is that? Because it's built upon a personal relationship of somebody who knows us and loves us. And I'd say it's for that reason that we all seek out personal revelation from God. If we're honest, we don't just want to know what God says to people in general, but we want to know what he says to us. We don't just want some, to know some generic God up in the sky somewhere, but God revealed in Jesus. We don't just want to know what God was saying even to the Corinthians, for example, but what God is actually saying through his word today to us through his word. So when we hear God speaking to individuals in the Bible, it can conjure up a lot of different images from God asking where Adam and Eve are hiding in the garden, to Jesus uh, miraculously speaking to Paul on his way to Damascus. And I'd like to look at how God personally reveals himself to us today and how he guides and speaks to us as believers. And this should hopefully give us a good starting point to understand what God is saying to us in our everyday lives. And I say a starting point because it's not at all exhaustive. There's so many ways God works and speaks to us that I can only scratch the surface. So I begin, I begin by asking you, what is the most amazing feature of being a Christian? Some might say the grace of God, the love of God, eternal life, a transformed life, and the list goes on. But I would say the most amazing feature is that we know God at all. We don't just know about God or have nice thoughts that might relate to a God somewhere. We don't just philosophize about some great being up in the sky. No, as Christians, we actually know God, but there's even more to it than that. In John 1, we see God actively wants to know us. 
In John 1.14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in John 1.18, it says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. The point is this. As Christians, we're not like pioneers who've gone out, searched the far corners of the universe to dig up scraps of God and then hold it up triumphantly and say, aha, we found God, we've searched him out, we've got him, you know, we, we've put him in a box and, and we know exactly what he's like. In John, we see it's the other way around. God sends his son Jesus to come and live among us so that we can know him. God is the one who seeks to reconnect with us, who are his creation, who have fallen far from him. We're in the dark until he shines his light into the world and show, shows us what he's like. We know God because he came to reveal himself to us, most of all through Jesus, as Hebrews 1 verse 1 to 2 says. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by a son, who is his appointed, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. I think it's valuable to reflect on this because it sets the terms for how God interacts with us. The most famous verse in the Bible testifies to this in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his, own, his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When we talk about knowing God, this is the God we know. He longs for us to live in a restored relationship with him. Equally, he is the one who seeks us out so that we may know him. So what does it look like for us to know this God who seeks us out? As Christians, we can say that we have come into a personal knowledge of God. It's a good way to think about and describe what knowing God looks like and involves. So let's look at each aspect in turn. So first of all, it's personal. Our knowledge of God is personal because it only comes through a restored relationship with God. As we place our faith in Jesus and his sacrifice for us, we receive the Holy Spirit and we become the children of God. There's a whole change of status. We enter the family of God and the family of believers. And we know God in a new and personal way. Romans 8, 15 to 16 describes it and hints at it like this. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies of our spirit that we are God's children. There is a change for us as believers. God has saved us. We are his children. That is a complete change of status. You can think of it, about, uh, you can think of it in this way. If you th think of a famous person, you may have seen them on TV, read books about them, seen them in the newspaper, know a few fun facts. Um, but I would say, is this the same as really knowing someone? Well, it's not. Of course not. I'd say it isn't. To really get to know someone, you need to meet them and spend time with them. There needs to be a two-way relationship to really know that person. And the Bible itself provides examples of this. And one of the most interesting and perhaps well-known is with Job. We see him angry at God for the majority of the book. Um, but when God finally reveals himself and Job actually meets him, he says in chapter 42, verse 5 to 6, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That personal encounter with God completely changed the way that Job 
viewed his entire life situation, which was terrible. Now to look at the second aspect of knowledge. We know God in a personal way as Christians, but this is not separate from knowing about God either. Jesus and the apostles treated the scriptures as the word of God for all time. It tells us what we are like, what the world is like, and what God himself is like. It's like a compass by which we can know the directions of our lives and know where God wants us to be and who he is. We first come to know God in a personal way. When we first come to know God in a personal way, we may have a very basic knowledge about God. It may be very simple, and that's fine. We respond in faith to what we know, and God celebrates that. He, he, he wants that. However, to keep our faith healthy and growing in the right direction, we need to know more about God. As 2 Timothy 3.16-17 says, All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture equips us to live for God and grow in faith because it helps us to get to know God better. The simple faith in Jesus, which we begin with, should never be left behind, but it should grow as we read the scriptures and have our minds reshaped by God. If not, our assumptions and the beliefs of our culture will seep in and corrupt what we believe. So to summarise this section, we approach God with a personal knowledge of him if we want to stay on the right track. This keeps us from two errors. On the one hand, becoming cold, hardened academics who just know about God in theory, and it does nothing for them. And on the other hand, from being wacky, pie-in-the-sky believers who really don't know the God they worship because they don't have a content to their faith. We should keep this in mind as we think about personal revelation. We should expect to communicate with God and hear from the God who knows us personally and wants us to grow in that knowledge. So this leads us to ask the next question. How should we expect God to communicate personally with us as believers? Again, as I say, this is just scratching the surface. This is not exhaustive. But ultimately, that communication comes through the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself describes the role of the Spirit in John 14, uh, John 14, 16 to 17. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will, who will be, help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. All this I've spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the spirit, sorry, this is in verse 25 now, all this I've spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father sends in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. All of us who trust in Jesus have received the Holy Spirit. This means that we're able to see, believe, and receive the truth about God on a personal level. It puts us in a position where we're able to hear, because that connection with God is restored as we've trusted in Jesus and received the Holy Spirit. So that's a starting point. So once we have this as our starting point, we need to ask, how does God communicate to us through the Holy Spirit? Before getting into the specifics, what's really important is we put ourselves in a position where we can hear, and it's really fundamental. It's a bit like on a really old radio. Um, I remember we, we had a, one of these massive 
radios at, at home that I don't know must have at my parents' house and must have sat there for about twenty years, and we always listened to it. Um, but you you had to very very carefully adjust the little slider on it to get to the station you want, and if it was like. 102.65 or whatever you need to get it to. It was extremely difficult. You had to keep sliding and moving it along to get to a very specific channel. And you can hear the faint crackly sort of sound on the one hand. And as you get nearer and nearer, it gets clearer and clearer until you've tuned in to the right frequency. And as Christians, we need to keep tuning in to God. Romans 12, verse 1 to 2, 1 to 2 makes this point and offers us a really helpful perspective to start with. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what the will of God is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. While we are believers that know God, we still fight against our old desires, which distort our beliefs about ourselves and about God. We easily slip back into the wrong frequency. So how do we get into a position where we can hear God clearly? Well, verse one encourages us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Instead of living by our own agenda, we need to put ourselves in a position where we're living for God, where we are open to him, where we're not just doing our own thing, and this means that we're open to what he wants to do in our lives rather than just what we want. In the first half of verse 2, it instructs us further with two key points. Not to conform to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. We resist the pull of the world around us and on the other hand, allow God to change our minds by the Holy Spirit. This tunes us in to who God is and what he is like over time. It puts us in a position where we're able to hear and receive from him. So we become more receptive to God. The second half of verse 2 gives us the result. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. As God enables us to grow and mature in this way, we will see what God wants us to do with more and more clarity. For example... The more we believe that God loves us and that he's called, he called us to love others, the more loving our decisions will be. We will make decisions that come from the character of love that God is slowly building within us. So, so when it comes to actually making decisions, we may not always have absolute clarity about what the next job is that we need to take or what the next you know, step in this particular direction is. But we know that if, our, if we're open to God and we're having our character shaped by him, we can be confident that our decisions will come from the right place and that we will know that God is with us in them and that God is by our side and that we're actually, over time, making decisions that are driven by his character that's in us. So I just want to look at three practices that will help us get to know God's will for us and his direction for us. When we're thinking about how God speaks to us, we must remember, first of all, that God wants to shape us into people who are becoming like him and able to listen. So let's look at the specifics. Now, I know that there are many ways that God might speak to us. I'm well aware of that. The Bible gives us a vast range of examples across history. 
The Holy Spirit can speak to us in the Bible, through other believers, through dreams, visions, promptings, words of knowledge, prophecy, and more. There's so many ways God can speak. And we can't look at each one of these in detail. But I'd like to focus on three tried and tested ways to discover what God is saying to us, which will form a starting point for us to, to start going in the right direction. And that is getting to know God through the Bible, through fellowship, and through prayer. All that God has said and done definitively is found in the Bible. It's God's living word to us, which is relevant to us for all time. God is always speaking through it to us. As Hebrews 4:12 to 13 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. As we read the Bible, God calls our ideas and our assumptions to account by his Holy Spirit. He opens our eyes to who we are and who God is. You can often identify through reading the Bible what God is always telling us to do, as well as things that he could never tell us to do. For example, take one command from 1 Peter 1.22. It says, love one another deeply from the heart. There's never a time when we can say, well, I think God's telling me not to love someone. That verse doesn't really speak to me. God is always saying that to you, no matter how you might feel. And we have to bring our minds into alignment with that. And we also see on the opposite side, Paul talk about this idea as he relates it to prophecy. No one who prophesies will ever say, Jesus be cursed, because it's the opposite of what we believe. It's, it's working in the opposition to it. There's a clear way in which we can't, we can't stand against scripture. God's words revealed in the Bible give us a definite place to stand at all times. When we interpret them correctly, as they're meant to be heard. And of course, a lot more could be said about that. Secondly, I'd like to highlight looking at fellowship with believers. If we don't know what God is saying to us or what he wants us to do, we have other believers who can guide us in the right direction. And we should never be ashamed of this fact. I think in the West, we tend to be very individualistic in the way that we think about faith. But we shouldn't underestimate how much we are meant to encourage one another and contribute to one another as Christians. As much as the Holy Spirit dwells in you, he also dwells in the person next to you. That means we can build each other up and help each other discern what is right to do. As brothers and sisters in the family of God, we should help each other walk through tough decisions and hear what God is saying to us. The writer of Hebrews hints at this when he says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards, good, towards love and good deeds. Um, sorry, it's in a chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together as some, are, some of us are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Personally, I've found home group a really good context for this. We're such a different group of people that meet together each week with so many different life experiences, um, and so many so, uh, different understandings of you know, what we've experienced in life and different ways we've experienced God. But we can help each other to get to know him more. And that's a really good thing. Now, that might happen overtly through a word of knowledge or something. Or it may simply come from someone who's been shaped by Jesus over many years and offers a perspective that you might not see. And finally, prayer. 
Prayer is another simple, critical way we need to connect with God so that we can discern what he wants and we can give him opportunity to speak to us through the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because when we bring our thoughts, requests, complaints and thanks to God as we're asked and commanded to do, we give God the opportunity to speak to us. He may convict us about sin in our lives. He may highlight truth from scripture. He may give us clarity on an issue we've been struggling with for weeks. We may feel the Holy Spirit urging us to take a particular course of action. If we're looking for direction, we can take the action encouraged in James 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God wants us to come to him and ask boldly for what we need. If we're looking for direction, if we feel lost, he wants us to do that. And this includes help with complex decisions where we have little clarity. And that is the third of our, our points where we start as believers. So, reading the Bible, speaking with other believers, and prayer will help us get to know what God is saying to us personally. It gives us a foundation for getting to know God more deeply. We may be keen to get answers to particular questions, have very specific guidance, or want God to speak to us in miraculous, impressive ways, and we're free to ask him to do so because he does that. We know he does that in the Bible. We know that that is possible, and it does happen. However, I'd like to suggest the most important thing of all is that we become people who are ready to listen and respond to God. Some of us here may feel distant from God. You may not sense that God is with you in a particular situation or in life in general. You may think, is God listening? Does God actually care? He does. But sometimes our feelings, our own internal <laughs> compass are just completely broken. Sometimes we're left feeling like we just don't know what is going on. And you know what, when you're in that situation, it's really important to fall back on the reality of God's word, the wisdom of other believers and approaching God in prayer. But even more than that, we need to remember what I'd said at the beginning is that God is the God who seeks us out. He comes to us when we're not looking for him, when we don't care, when we're not interested, when we've given up. God comes looking for us. That's an astounding fact. God of the universe comes and looks for us. He seeks us out. Like the parable of the lost sheep, he comes to find, seek and save those who are lost, those who are, who are far from him, who have wandered, who don't know where they are in life. That is who God seeks out. If we don't trust in this, we'll let our feelings get the best of us. And... Personally, that happens a lot. We'll start equating, I don't feel God right now, with God isn't there and he doesn't care. This means, these means of grace which God provides allow us to keep going when we don't have clarity. God is always speaking to us personally, even if we, even if we can't hear, and even if he doesn't communicate in an overtly miraculous way. And why is that? Because God has brought us into a personal knowledge of who he is. Not just a personal knowledge, but it's a relationship. He's changed our status. We are his children. We are in his family. He loves us. He cares for us very deeply. So however you're feeling, I encourage you to do what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. I think that's right. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So God wants us to come to him. So let's keep ourselves open to God so we can hear what he is saying. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and at www.coachhousechurch.org.